just had an exhibition in Liverpool, which is called Quiescence, which features a number of very large format images of spaces in, in different contexts. We're going to talk about that and their commercial work here around Liverpool and the Northwest. Okay, so two photographers working on the same project. And, I mean, you share both a, a, a working life and, and a personal life together. Mm. And photographers, more often than not, do tend to work in, a, in an isolated way. It's, it's one photographer pursuing a project. Perhaps there are other people in their lives who inform their work or they respond to, and that's how they come to it. But at the end of the day, it's a single person's statement. But with you two, it's two people's joint statement. Have I got that right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, obviously, you know, when we are working, you know, I really, first of all, will say that although we are married, that, that is kind of incidental. In many cases, we are actually working together. We are on location together. We have separate equipment, not as though we're sort of swapping the camera around or fighting over equipment. But we tend to go to a location together. It might be that we tend to perhaps split up. We might go in different directions within that location. But in many cases, we are working as a, as a very close-knit team. And that goes to the whole process, you know, travelling to locations, exploring locations, taking photographs, you know, having discussions later about editing or the best way to process the files, discussions about sizes of images, how the sequencing will work. So that is obviously, you know, as, as you've said, photographers do tend to work in isolation in many cases. Most photographers will be part of forums, they will show work to gallery curators and get feedback. It's just that we tend to do all that kind of in-house as it were finely tuned in-house finely tuned in-house i think if you if you look at it historically the way we've worked historically and when we first started working together steve was very much a single photographer working on his own going out in the landscape um early hours of the morning out late in the evening working on your own for full days and then we started doing stuff together and it would still in some respects be quite like that in that you would have your Hasselblad and I would have my Hasselblad and we would go out together on the hills and Steve would maybe be doing big landscapes and I would be doing smaller, detailed landscapes. And that then evolved to us then looking at the stuff together. And so as, as it's gone on, it's become less that we're working individually on our own. As we've had to do stuff together for um, clients or we've done work, commissioned work, We've worked together, and now all our personal work is together as well. Mm, yeah. And so when you're actually out on location, do you find that you're bouncing ideas off one another and go, this is a really great space? And, and maybe unintentionally that's then sort of it's, it's creating some new thought processes in the other person. What often happens is that you, one of us, we, we start to see something that we find interesting and t start to photograph it. And as you're sort of concentrating and start to photographing it, the other person will say, well, yeah, that is interesting. And then we will take time then to maybe look at it in a slightly different way. And there's often that we have both photographed exactly the same thing at exactly the same time, haven't we? Mm, yeah. And then afterwards made a decision about what we thought was the best shot. Mm, mm. Or while we've been taking the images, I've maybe taken the photograph and said, well, I think it looked better if and then you've carried on. And then I said, ah, yeah, but if, and we've carried on again, haven't we? So it's sort of like layers and layers of things and we keep changing stuff as we're looking at it. I mean, I would think of 
two photographs that we had in the exhibition were exact examples of that. Mm. So which would yeah. those be? The one of the swimming pool with the the swimming pool with the cover that had been lifted up. I photographed it from the outside, didn't I? Mm. Underneath, uh, not underneath, but on the top and looking across the top of of it. And then we took some more shots, and the sun came out, and you lifted it up, didn't you? And then Steve tried to photograph underneath, um, and then it wasn't quite getting there. So then I photographed it underneath with the wide angle lens. And then we looked at it again, and then you photographed it again underneath the wide angle lens. Mm. It was a slightly different angle. You actually changed the focus on it, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. And it was, it was that decision afterwards of which, which lens, which, which focus looked the best. But one, one area where we definitely do come together is in you know what you might want to call the post-production or the editing phase when we're starting to kind of process the images look at them in terms of you know the, the quality of them or the cropping or whatever it might be uh, and then obviously for an exhibition it then comes down to the editing process where you know we are very much intimately involved in, in discussions about how the image is going to fit together how they're going to work what size they're going to be so I suppose that's where the, the kind of partnership really comes to the fore, yeah. isn't it? You know, having somebody who you can really discuss the images with. Um, and, and, you know, th 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 there are disagreements. You know, we do have quite lively discussions about the merits of a certain photograph and whether it fits in the sequence or what it's trying to say. You know, but, but that's part and parcel of, of kind of any, any kind of partnership. It, it often helps to, to justify an image to yourself if you're able to bounce those ideas off someone else. Um, often when you first take an image or you first have something printed or you first see something, all the possible feelings that you had when you took it, you attach that image and you really think it's a great image and it isn't a great image. After a few weeks, you think that is a really bad image. Why did I think that was really good? And to have somebody else who can say, well, you know, explain to me why you like that. And if you once you have to try and justify it to somebody else, then you, you, you then you have to justify it to yourself, don't you? And and often those things get thrown out. So thinking about the exhibition itself now, yes, and let's talk about that a little bit. Been on in Liverpool for a week, was it? Yes. It's an interesting location, a, a disused building, a sort of semi derelict building, but it's it's habitable and it's uh, open to the public. Yeah. Yes. The prints you've got in there, you've got. 30 prints? Yes. And they're quite large, aren't they? What, what sort of size are we talking about? Um, there, was, there was 10 approximately metre and a half by a metre. And then there were 20 that were around about 60 centimetres in height by 90 centimetres wide. Although there was, there was one panoramic in there that was 60 centimetres by 180 centimetres. Yeah. That's a very picturesque... That's right. One of grassy, um, yeah. Watery, one of um, one of the garden, garden festival, garden festival site. Yeah, and in terms of the decision making process about the size of them, there are a number of factors that fed into that. First of all, the space itself that we, um, you know, we wanted people to sort of come in and be able to um, to see the photographs large on the wall. We also felt that the the, the photographs that deserved to be printed very big were of the sort of the biggest spaces. Um, in terms of scale of, of size of subject, we felt that related very much to the size of the final print. And also it was kind of like, you know, questioning really how they would look on the wall and how big they would go before there was any real sort of noticeable 
kind of drop-off in quality related to viewing distances. By and large, am I right in thinking that most of your subjects are large spaces, therefore the viewing distance that you wanted to give people was also commensurately large because when you're standing in a large space, you would tend to stand back That's quite right. a bit to, yes. to view it. Yes. Yeah. And therefore, you, yeah. I mean, the, the, the gallery space is, is quite long, not particularly wide, but wide-ish. Um, so you, you could actually get quite a good distance between the viewer and the image on the wall. Yeah. And yes. the images, they're not in frames, they are... Yeah, they were mounted on 5mm uh, Fomex, sort of bled off all around the edge and with a laminate over the surface. How do you think the uh, uh, laminate, how do you think that actually works? Because it's not a, a sort of a proper gallery. Um, we were very worried about the lighting conditions in there and we did actually put extra lights in the, in the sort of gallery space. We were very worried about you know, the glare off a gloss laminate. So we did a couple of samples and we took them along to the gallery just to see how they'd look. And we certainly wanted that vibrancy of the gloss image as opposed to, say, semi-matte or satin or, or matte itself. We actually had samples done, uh, semi-matte um, finish on them, and I wasn't happy with the blacks, I wasn't happy with the contrast on them. Uh, most of the photographs are very highly coloured. Putting the gloss on the, the amount of colour, it gave them that um, greater impact when you walked into the gallery, as you said, a virtually derelict space. So there was a nice contrast, I thought, between the space and the colour and the, the gloss on the images. Um, I mean, the, the, there are a couple of a couple of problems. First of all, um, in one sense, I hate relinquishing control to a printer, but we we couldn't we don't have the facility to print up meter meter and a half prints in house, so we had to go to a printer, and we did look at a couple of labs. So that was the first decision. The second decision was was over the laminate um, because we felt that if they weren't going to be in frames, the photograph needed some kind of protection. But in one sense, looking back on it now, we probably, if we had to do the same show again, we wouldn't get the photographs laminated at all. We'd probably just get the photographs printed on gloss paper because the laminate um, did cause one or two problems. We had to reject a couple of prints and get them done again because the lab that did the sort of lamination, there were a few specks of dust and, and things like that. But that tends to be something and, that it just yeah. happens, mm. isn't it? And yeah. it's, it's incredibly <clears throat> difficult to, it to avoid that sort of thing. I mean, I know sort of, um, the sun images that we have uh, in the awards now, we've stopped laminating them. Mm. Um, but some of the pay, uh, some of the photographic papers you can get now are incredibly hardy, yes. and yeah. we'll we'll actually put up with relatively large amounts of abuse. Will, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's know, funny, certainly yeah. better than That's in right. the past. Well, obviously, I mean, inkjet prints um, again. The inks improved. You know, the longevity of them, the permanence of them, improved so much. Uh, and obviously don't, don't we were, they need, sorry, don't they sort of quite often need protection though? Well, I, I don't think so, because one of the biggest worries was, was sort of like, say, water damage or whatever on the surface of an inkjet print. But I can remember the occasion when we, when we threw a load of uh, sort of reject prints out in the garden and they were in the rain for three days. And I looked at them and they were absolutely perfect. I dried them off and they were perfect. <laughs> so, you know... I, I, it's great to be able to turn around to a client and go, you know... Exactly. <laughs> these are going to be fine. It gives you so a lot of confidence. that was one reason for obviously laminating is, is protection. But maybe, you know, I'll take advice on this, that I just don't think that, that either inkjets or prints done on photographic paper need that amount of protection anymore. I mean, we were concerned, though, because uh, also they were encapsulated, weren't they, before they were put mm. on the Fomax. And... That was another consideration because the 
the environment that we were putting them in, the so-called gallery, was damp as well. But as in hindsight, it probably wasn't necessary. Mm. Costly, but not necessary. (laughs) (laughs) So thinking about the work now, there is a relationship, I think I'm right in saying, between what you do commercially and, and how these images came about as well. Just say a little bit about commercial work you're doing, because you quite often photographed the images which went into this exhibition um, at the locations where you were working on the, on the commission quite separately, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I'll give you sort of perhaps a little bit of background about how the, not how the work came about, but how it was facilitated. And that was, we were working for Urban Splash a few years ago. Um, and Urban Splash asked us to photograph a number of buildings um, before redevelopment took place. It was kind of their policy to, to make a documentary record of, of some of these spaces that they were about to, you know, change. So we were commissioned by them to do that. Um, and then we started just being fascinated by the space itself. What happened was that we were being asked to photograph these spaces, you know, for a commercial client, i.e. Urban Splash. And we began to look at the space not as a commercial assignment, but more of a kind of um, a personal exploration, I guess. And I think what then happened was that, that we, we obviously were able to take photographs for ourselves that either when we felt we'd would fulfil the, the, the client's brief, we were then able to say, well, let's indulge ourselves a little bit, let's, let's take photographs for ourselves. Maybe the client would be interested and maybe they wouldn't at a later date. But these were primarily done done for us. And then we started to think about being a little bit more sort of organised um, and deliberately going out to some of the, the places that we knew Urban Splash actually had, one of which was Liston Mill in Bradford and, and Albert Mill in Manchester. Um, so we'd make a deliberate sort of um, foray <laughs> yes. to, you know, to go out and do this work. Um, and I think this idea of, of, of commercial work and personal work, if we can just perhaps explore that a little bit in more detail. Because I think it's quite important. Years ago, when I first started in photography, I, I basically never thought I would be a commercial photographer. I, I sort of, in many ways, hated the kind of the constraints and the limitations of commercial work. And then obviously things change, you, you sort of ideas change, you, you, obviously you have to earn a living. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that I don't see any distinction in many ways between what is commercial and what is personal. There obviously are you know, constraints in both areas. The point I'm trying to make is that, that if we weren't getting paid, we'd still be taking photographs. Yes. I think you've got to keep the heart in your photography, whether it's as commissioned work or whether it's personal work. I mean, it's easier to justify the personal work, sort of you're putting your heart and soul into it because you've got to justify it to yourself somehow, haven't you, if you're yes. talking out of your own pocket. I mean, I've been lucky in that most of my commercial work has come from my personal work. And so where it veers off that, I, I, I see it as a bit of a challenge. Mm. But then I tend to look back on it and think, Actually, I really enjoyed that from a personal point of view. And I can start to incorporate those things into my own personal work now, the things that other people have asked me to do. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is there's a little bit of that going backwards and forwards? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think also um, the clients, the major clients that we work for, uh, don't normally give us a very specific brief. We're very fortunate in that people will say to us, We'd like you to go and document this building as it is at the moment. And we have a commission at the moment that we've had over the past year 
where we've been documenting two buildings in Liverpool from before anything happened to them, right the way through the process of them being reconstructed, right the way through to the end, and we will finally photograph the finished offices, and, and we've been commissioned to do that. And the brief we were given was to go in there and do what we do, which is brilliant. We can bring all our own ideas into these images and we're allowed free reign really to roam. I mean, we, we do get more specific briefs than that, obviously. Mm. Mm. Um, but it, it's good that it, with some clients, we've got to the stage where they say, do what you do. Yeah, but that's only been built over, over several mm. years, hasn't yeah. it? That, that so so are you... Quite naturally. Uh, are you are you working for uh, the same set of clients most of the time? It does vary. I mean, clients come and go, you know, um, and come back, and come and and, yeah, and and come back. You know, they maybe try other photographers with a different look, but they'll, they'll sort of. So how do you? I mean, do you see quiescence as give you people a good window onto your work? People who want to commission you, um, or do you see it completely separately? When we first were getting the exhibition together, that was that was one of the ideas, wasn't it? Mm. That it would have a raised profile, really, for us in the city, and so that those people that we've already done work for could maybe see other stuff that we do, and those people who we'd done work for that it was was a similar vein could maybe see how it could be displayed or looked at in a different way. When the the exhibition was actually out there. What we've got back from it so far has been, it's been slightly different from that, hasn't it? Mm. In this, it seems to be that the art world, so called, of Liverpool seems to be more interested in it than, than the corporate world, hasn't it? Mm. But yeah. it did bring in some corporate people. We did have yeah. them in. I mean, obviously, you know, but anyway, the guy who, who, who sort of suggested it was um, a member of the art organisation that we'd done some work for. And he, he has um, sort of these alternative galleries around Liverpool. And his very first question was, well, why are you exhibiting? Why do you want to exhibit? That's the first question, you know. What are you to hoping to get out of it? What are you hoping to get out of it? And obviously, you'd like to turn around and say, well, I'd like to, some collector to come in and buy the whole exhibition. <laughs> or at least one or two print sales might be, might be useful um, in terms of recouping some of the money. But it's very difficult to define. It's kind of putting, putting the work out there and getting people in. You can't predict what's going to happen. Uh-huh. You do know what's going to happen if you don't do it. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. But if you do do it, you'd say, well, it's there. I can't predict. There's going to be people coming in. Who knows in which direction? I, I, believe, of, you know. I believe very much in doing it because yeah. you feel you have a need to do it. That's and right. Get it out there and think it through enough for it to be a solid mm-hmm. idea that people can get a hold of and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But overthink it and you've probably lost the work, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think there was there was another reason for it coming together as well at the moment was that we we did the work work with the art organisation earlier in the year and the suggestion was made by them and they have got throughout um, the Independence Biennial this year the gallery spaces that they've got have are having a changeover of one or two weeks and so there's literally hundreds of people in very small spaces all over the city going to be showing their work through the art organisation over the biennial through to November. And it was that idea as well of having that sort of quick change we yeah. quite like. Yeah. It, it wasn't this big, precious gallery do. It was in um, an alternative galleries. 
Um, and we then hate on, that, we hate that kind of reverential feel that you get from a lot of a lot of galleries. You know, you know, a church. You've got to sort of worship the work, and we hate that kind of atmosphere. So we felt this space was, you know, provided a different kind of ambiance, really. And the art organisations themselves have that very sort of that attitude. Mm. Although we don't live in the centre of Liverpool, we are very much a Liverpool-based photography partnership. The majority of our work is done within the city, and 2008 Independence Biennial would be an appropriate mm. time to do it. Yeah. yeah. So that's why it came together this year. Okay. So, shall we have a look at your favourite images from the show? We talked about the swimming pool image. Um, what other images would you pick out? What would be the first image you'd pick out? I think probably that's 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 one of my um, favourite images. It's actually in um, an old fire station in Hatton Gardens, a tower, like a tower of, a, of an old fire station. And we, we originally went up there because it provided a good viewpoint of a development next door, known as Eden Square. And again, it was one of those places that looked like it hadn't been sort of disturbed for an awful long time. Um, now, there are, are sort of plans in the pipeline for, for this place. So again, it's one of those spaces that may very well be developed quite shortly. But it, it, again, it's, it's a, a photograph that shows evidence of, of sort of occupation. In this case, there's a, sort of, um, there's a skeleton of a bird in the foreground. So it brings together a few of those strands, but also in terms of, of an image, it sort of, um, it picks up on the sort of, the, the bones in the, in the bird's wing and the sort of shadows from the, the cast iron balustrade looking straight down to the ground floor. I, I like the colour of that, that photograph and I also like the, I would say the, the pattern of the wings and the fact that it's you've got the pattern of the stairwell. Also, if you... This was one image that I felt needed to be big because when it's pinched up big, you can see that as you go down the stairs, there is actually debris of other dead birds all the way down the stairs. There's feathers, there's bones, there's a skull here. Um, there's an awful lot of uh, bird days as well. Oh, Stephanie, what about your um, first image to talk about? First yeah. image to talk about. This is the basement of... Walker House in Liverpool. And what's Walker House? Walker House is um, one of the buildings that is on the side of Exchange Flags at the back of Liverpool Town Hall. Um, historically, it's a very interesting building because it was actually only built in the late 20s. But it was uh, reinforced during the Second World War uh, with huge concrete uh, ceilings and floors. Um, and underneath it in the basement is housed the war rooms that were for the North Atlantic convoy. And in the basement was always been open to the public actually to go in and see. And this building um, had lain empty for many years since I think um, Derek Hatton was part of Liverpool City Council <laughs> and it had, been, it had been lain empty for a long time. The Walton Group had started to do work on it and then moved out and it had been left in this state. So that, that's, that's the history of the building. This is actually in the basement area before you go into the lower level um, where the war rooms are. And this was, it's, a, it's an image of the old news agents um, where people would buy their papers on their way into work. A couple of things I like about it is the, as was also pointed out, is the use of apostrophe in, in the sign, <laughs> which, is, which is, was quite interesting. 
I like the the pattern of it on the walls. I, I I like the fact that the the painted peeled in patterns. There's this very yellow light, and there's, there's just a tiny chink of light coming through from a, a, a closed over window. There's a little bit of blue there, isn't there? Yes, coming through, and the rest of it is is very yellow. It's a very warm looking image for a very cold place, really. Mm. I mean, I quite like the size of it when when it was displayed in the exhibition because it, it gave me the feeling that it was in relation to uh, a real physical size. Mm. But it did seem very strange that you just have this derelict room which which is disassociated from any sort of environmental context. But you had this newsagent's sign sort of stuck in the middle of it. And, it, and it's a very timeless sign. You can't really associate it with with being of any particular social era. It could be a sign that's that's up there today. It could be a sign that was up there when when the building was, you know, first put into public use. It's a beguiling image for me. I mean, I think that's a very good good expression you've used there, beguiling, because obviously, you know, we want the photographs to sort of to interest people on on many levels. But one of those is is sort of intrigue them as to what's happening in the image, or where was it, or when it was taken. And we always try and with the, with this body of work, there's always I was trying to put some little extra elements in it that will, will hold people's attention. And although it may, may have started off as a sort of more documentary project, in many ways it, it sort of evolved into a, I hate to use the word, but a more conceptual kind of, you know, body of work. And yeah. that we were exploring lots of different things on lots of different levels. And also, you know, the, the photograph I've got in front of me now, Lister Mill, I think the idea of exploration... It's sort of quite important that we certainly felt when we were when we worked in these spaces that we were sort of explorers. And there's a certain element of danger in that, I believe. There, there, there is, yeah, because with this photograph of Mr Mill, which is on the top floor, there were quite a lot of big holes actually in the sort of reinforced concrete floor. That of were, course, con- were concealed by the plants growing over them. Yeah, you've got a lot yeah. of greenery there, so it's a very, very colourful picture, uh, whereas the newsagents one... Is, is more mono, muted, almost monochromatic on the on the on the yellow yes. scale. Mm. Yeah. Whereas this one, I think when we took that image, I, I would actually say that the images that we took here at Liston Mill were really ones that propelled us to do more. Yeah. Because yeah. It, walking into this space and going up onto the top floor and being met by bright sunshine and all this plant life and the colour was astonishing, wasn't mm, it? It was. It yeah. was like a total revelation going up there because we'd gone all, all the way up these stairs through dark layers of mill and, and dust and muck and then you got to the top floor and there was this just... Mm. And no, no one believed the these plants were growing up here. They were um, obviously blown, the, sort of the, the seeds blown at the top and, and there, were, there were shrubs and small trees growing up there. Yeah, there's some here. I think the colour in the images is something which slowly, although you're aware of it very quickly when you first encounter the images as, a, as a, a group on the walls, it's only by seeing the contrast between the different subjects and the different uses of colour. You know, I mean, you've got one use of colour in the news agents there, you've got another one in this list of mill image. And then moving along to, to this one, which is a factory setting or a warehouse setting. Yeah, I mean, again, th- this was... Um, an image that was taken whilst we had been commissioned to take some some photographs of um, some warehousing in Kirby 
um, the warehousing was had been the previous occupant had moved out and it was being at some point done up. It was, it was obviously being advertised. It's been advertised and, and trying to be resold all that. Um, and the, the extraordinary thing about these huge warehouses, it, to those people who have never been in them before, is the complexity of the racking. <laughs> that is, it's just all those empty miles and miles, miles of, empty of, of empty shelves and racking, and the fact that they are so brightly coloured and so brightly lit, um, and that the the flooring is very very smooth. So you have quite very smooth flooring. So you you, you have this this opportunity to get severe shadows and patterns, which is is quite this is. Quite different from the others, really. Yeah, I think it's texture, that kind of it? repetitious scale, isn't it? The, yeah. the scale of the repeating forms. In the exhibition itself, that those two images are completely separate ends of the room. Yes. As I recall. Yeah. Um, yet sitting here, I really enjoy seeing them uh, sitting next to one another. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we did actually we did consider putting these two together, didn't mm. we? It was a consideration because of those uprights and because of the massive detail at the bottom of this and the massive detail on the top of that one. But that was a consideration, wasn't it? And I think we decided to put this very complex image next to, a, in contrast to a very blank image, yeah, rather than putting the two very busy images together. Right, right. We're moving on completely here. Steve, you brought out two more images which are very different spaces, completely different. I mean, well, whereas we've been talking, I think in everything we looked at at the minute, big, vast, open, um, derelict spaces, we're now looking at some quite compact little domestic spaces. There's obviously a, you know, a very valid point to be made for photographing sort of dormant spaces that are more domestic. And so I've got two photographs of um, a front room in a house where the... Um, Again, it was in between occupancy that the previous occupants had left and moved all the furniture out, and it was awaiting the new occupant to, to actually move their furniture in. So the photographs themselves um, are very much of a, of a sort of late 70s style of decor, should we say. Um, highly patterned carpet in one, and just traces, very kind of um, subtle traces of, of shelving marks on the wall um, where the television's been. And believe it or not, in this one there is a sort of a paperclip in the foreground, which you, you know. Is Sorry, my glasses aren't quite strong <laughs> enough for that one. But again, it's a little, little, little sort of like remnants of a previous occupation. On the other photograph, a very highly coloured sort of magenta carpet that's reflecting up into the ceiling. On the it's, it's that wonderful nylon deep pile it's, sort of stuff, yeah. isn't it? That actually strikes me as uh, Guy Farrow did some work. Uh, commission work. Uh, I was quite surprised to find out, which is kind of similar because it's it, it it deals with this sort of empty space or the emptiness and the, this period also of domestic uh, interior decor. Mm. Yeah. Fabulous as it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it was it's this the little line that you get round that when you're living in the house, you never get the chance to get your hoover around the skirting board. <laughs> and it's only when you move out you see it. Stephanie, I wouldn't know it about anything like that. <laughs> so there's a black line around the skirting board. <laughs> were these actually exhibited at a different size to the others, or were they about the same size? I can't they remember. were a little bit, obviously, because they were, I think they were, shot, they were shot on a super wide Hasselblad a few years ago, um, obviously using film. We put these photographs in 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 sort of um, in a body on on one wall of, of sort of all the square photographs that seem to relate together quite nicely, 
and they were a bit smaller, about 60 by 60 centimetres. So, so when you're shooting these images, are, are you always using the same um, format, equipment, or, or does no, it vary? No, they they just, just, vary? Just what are they shot on? Well, obviously, they, they, because the, the work has, you know, started a few years ago, it, it was shot on film, and a variety of formats from sort of, you know, 6 by 6 Hasselblad to 6x9. Um, we did do some on the X-Pan Hasselblad. Yeah, x I don't know whether we didn't put any of those in, did we? They're in the book, the ones yeah. on the X-Pan. Actually, I'm sorry, that was taken on the X-Pan. And in fact, that image was in last year's in the 2007 Sun, yes, wasn't it? That's right. yes. Which is yeah. a picture of the Midland Hotel, Midland Hotel up in Morecambe, Morecambe. Yes. yes. Yeah. Our work has, has progressed. We've moved away from film and um, virtually all the later images um, were shot digitally. So over what sort of period was the work produced which went into the exhibition? Probably five, six, six years. Six years, yes. And how do you, th- um, do you think the different method of creation, the different cameras, the different formats, the film, the digital. Do you think that's managed to work together? I mean, we did we did worry that maybe we'd get quality problems, didn't we, or issues. Well, that consistency of... Because we yeah. wanted to have them consistent looking. But because, obviously, the ones that were, were done on the Hasselblad on the 6x6, we, we put them all together, didn't we? So they were sort of a, a, a set in their own on a wall, mm. weren't they, together? It's partly not 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 just because they were shot on film, but also because of the the format. The format they were square. square format was kind of made them go together quite nicely. But I think uh, it, it was a bit of a learning process for us as well, because you know with with having different kind of formats, different kind of materials, uh, the feedback that we got is that the, that the quality was was very consistent across all the images. Now, one of the other things that we were talking about uh, earlier on. Um, was, well, a bit of your background, Stephanie, which was uh, for a brief time as a town planner. And you're talking about the spaces in between buildings. Yes. And how, how does this very monochromatic image fit into that? I was quite fascinated by this building. Again, this is, this is Walker House in Liverpool, and the building itself is very much, um, what's it, 1930s brutalist style. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that the, obviously the image... If you're trying to represent that building, I thought it was probably quite good to represent it in a brutalist style, really, which is what this image is. But one thing that drew me to this this view was the fact that this uh, building that had remained empty for a long time had a bright white wall along between the two sections of the building, so that the building is goes is is split up into um, one wing on one side and then the the north wing on the other side and then connecting it is an alleyway and along this across the alleyway is a bright white wall we're looking at the open end of a horseshoe um but it is still this space and this space is inhabited by a little bit of heavenly white (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately it's now black we've painted it black oh hell but they've painted painted the building white all right, you can go back and photograph it. I have to. Can't, can't you just nip in and paint that wall red? <laughs> I'm sure I could do it in Photoshop. <laughs> no, no, that's cheating. That. <laughs> so work that's put into sun every year, it, it's a split between commercial work and personal work. Mm. And quite often uh, art directors are most interested in the personal work. We don't actually label the work in the book or an exhibition 
as one or the other. Mm. Uh, we leave that up to the viewer to just come to the mm. image themselves yeah. and either enjoy the image or see it working in relationship to a project. And sometimes there is a direct re uh, relationship between one piece that was commissioned and one piece that was personal. Mm. Yeah. Some people think of commercial photographers as always working commercially and they are only wanting to please the client. Whereas the feedback that you get from a lot of art directors is that they are really looking for a photographer who, whilst they are a safe pair of hands and they're going to look after the budget responsibly, they are putting the passion into the photography. Mm. Yeah. 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 Coming across Sun a few years ago, um, it, you know, it, it's quite refreshing to see these kind of organisations, you know, helping to promote photography through through exhibitions and publications. There was a little bit of a hiatus, I think, you know, the, the build-up to the change in digital imaging and the way that affected you, the whole uh, nature of the photographer's business, mm. how they had to reorganise themselves and things. And people suddenly had to rethink, and a number of people I know uh, one of the ways that they did that was to go off and do MA courses in photography. Mm. Uh, people who have been out and out commercial photographers for most, if not the whole of their careers, and they were suddenly given this space in time where they had to deliver work into an MA course and, and also think about the way they were working. Uh, one of the results of that, I know in certain circumstances, was that they came out of those courses with a very strong idea about developing a strategy and using that uh, information which had informed them during the MA to inform the way that they were actually presenting themselves to the world mm. and how people would pay them for working. This exhibition has sparked off a lot of thoughts. and One person that we've always looked at their work and said that we're quite envious of the balance between the personal work and the... Uh, commercial work is Michael Kenner, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. He seems to be able to to balance those two things together. He's we do a lot of commercial work, but he he is seen as a yeah. fine artist photographer, yeah. isn't he? He's able he? to sell prints and his books. Isn't he? So is that now a way forward? I mean, where are you going to take your commercial work, and where are you going to take this exhibition work? Well, obviously now, now the the sort of the, the exhibition work has, has been completed. Rather than just sort of store it in the attic upstairs, you know, we're very keen to to move it on to a number of other venues. And, and you suggested the Biscuit Factory in Newcastle, and we'll look at one or two other places. Maybe impressions in Bradford because there's a number of photographs there that oh, are of Bradford. Bradford. Might be it. So basically, first of all, in in the short term, try and get this this work out to a number of other different venues. Do you think it's important that you actually produce the book alongside the exhibition, or was that just a happy thing? That you no, were I mean able it was. Do? No, I think I think we did want. I think we wanted to have some kind of lasting legacy that that people could take away with them, something that was lasting. And so we we put this little catalogue together using Blurb, uh, which is just one of many sort of online publishing houses, reasonably successful, I think, in terms yeah. of of how it was produced, when it was produced, the quality generally as an exhibition catalogue, I think it works pretty well. You know, it is nice to have a book, you know, um, and again, in terms of, you know, the learning process involved, you know, we don't just take photographs for self-indulgent purposes, and the two feed off each other really quite nicely, that there is that kind of movement between, you know, the commercial work and the personal work.
and that you know we are we do have a commercial photographic practice that supports two people, that supports a household, that supports you know a large family, all, a large family, all those problems. So so we are we are very much concerned with with earning a living through photography. You know, it's our, it's our only income. Yeah. You know, I still get that kind of that passion. You know, that sort of emotional buzz through through doing you know personal work. And also through do doing do a commercial, commercial job well, well done for a client that appreciates it. Well, thanks, Steve and Stephanie. Thanks. That's thanks, great. Thanks, thanks, thanks very, very much, Ed. Thank, Thank you. you.